All right, hello, welcome to the At You Two podcast. We've reached episode number 007, the podcast where we talk all things U2, including album news, tour dates, community discussions from the staff of at u2.com. And I am joined once again by Mr. Matt McGee. Hello, Matt. Hey, Chris, how are you, sir? I am well. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, it's a, we're uh, weeks away, week and a half away of the tour starting again. So it feels like we just barely got a break and we're already back ready to go for the new tour, new start. Of the I know. Tour. I know. It's very exciting. I, um, my wife saw a tweet. I sent out a tweet about a week or 10 days ago and I sent it out at like one in the morning, um, knowing that no one would see it, particularly her. And I said... I said, don't tell my wife, but I've already started researching airfares to every city on the European tour. <laughs> so she actually ended up seeing that tweet. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm still looking at airfares. But well, I would very, assume you've got a I'm, birthday or something coming up. She's probably going to buy you tickets. I would assume that would sort of <laughs> I actually do have a birthday coming up, and I will mention that to her. Yeah. Podcast <laughs> advice given and received. All good. <laughs> and this will be the last time Matt's on the podcast. He's been banned <laughs> from the show. <laughs> what if we do like a what if we do like a Kickstarter to send the at U two crew around Europe on the to follow the tour? That would be awesome. Well, first of all, we're doing the, the tattoo Matt Kickstarter project, right? That's what we figured out last episode. Oh gosh, don't remind me. <laughs> Speaking of uh, random pictures on things, which this is a, that's a terrible segue, but U two's on their their break right now, and they're actually uh, posting a little more to like Instagram and stuff. Albeit through a, it feels a bit like through a handler or through how your dad might post to Twitter or Instagram I, so, in a way. Yeah, it's it's. I was wondering about that. Like, do they? I've been wondering. Like, are they posting it themselves or do they have somebody doing it? But then there was the photo that Adam posted just a couple days ago where he's like, you know, dressed to the nines, right? In yeah. um in you know, the tie and the outfit. And he it's him in a mirror and you can see him holding the camera, taking the photo himself. So Yeah, wow. so who knows? I mean they're maybe they're getting braver as they as they do this. I, lo- I love the idea of, you know, just Adam or Larry kind of <laughs> shifting through the different screens on their phone. Where's the Instagram app? Oh, there it is. You know, log in, shoot the photo. Now I got to type a caption. I just love the image of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's, it is unusual. I know I actually, well, I was on, uh, I forget where I was. I had limited Wi-Fi or, and no cell connection or vice versa. But I saw the tweet go by of like the YouTube from the YouTube account, suited, booted Adam. And then I, I couldn't load the picture. It wasn't loading, but I just saw, Predominantly women, but you know, people responding saying, "Oh my gosh, oh wow!" <laughs> I know he looked fantastic. <laughs> Which you don't, yeah, you don't usually see Adam in a suit first, like a, a actual suit. You see him in other kinds of suits, <laughs> right? So anyway, there you go. It's linked in the show notes, which you can find at goodstuff.fm/slash/at-u-two/slash seven. So if you haven't seen Adam suited, booted, there he is. <laughs> and they do, yeah, they often sign it with you know initials or whatever as is common, or just their name, Edge or, or whatever. Um, Bono had a good one with the sunglasses on. I know someone, I forgot who it was, maybe Tasula was saying like the return of the fly, um, uh, kind of thing. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, I feel like a long time coming. It's, I, I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth or complain about a horse or whatever the saying is, but, um, and just enjoy the little peek we get into some of the, 
the yeah, I agree. Post it's, outside it's, tour life. It's it's kind of like right on the 360 tour when Edge was doing Twitter, and all he would do is post photos. He wouldn't ever, you know, say anything. Um, so it, I guess it kind of makes sense that they would use Instagram that way because that's you know exactly what you use Instagram for. So yeah, I agree with you. It's really uh, it's really cool to see that they're uh, that they're sort of opening that door a little bit the way they are. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump right into our inbox. We have a roundtable discussion coming up in a bit with uh, a couple of guests from international uh, places around the world. Yes. And, uh, and so we want to save lots of time for that. So we'll just do a couple of, of uh, questions from our hashtag ask at you two questions that listeners have been awesome at sending in. We have tons right now. There's some that we won't get to this episode that we'll save for a future episode, but definitely feel free to keep sending them in. Um, at Michael Colligan, Colligan on, sorry, again, <laughs> I won't butcher your name. That's a, just a guarantee. Um, asked a question about some personal stuff and getting in touch with Adam and Bono and Larry and the edge. And, uh, Matt, maybe you can speak to this a bit, but I'll just say, you know, we at the podcast side of things definitely don't have any great connection, super instant connection with you two themselves, the band, the management, et cetera. Um, and so it's not a vehicle that we're a way, a great way to get in touch with them that way. Yeah, it's, um, we, we get a lot of emails too, uh, you know, via the website, um, you know, direct to me or direct to somebody else on staff with people making, you know, personal requests like, can you get a message to Bono? Can you get a message to the edge or whatever? Or can, is there a way that, you know, you can help me contact the band so we can, you know, do a, a wedding proposal in the middle of the concert and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And then there's also, you know, some really heartfelt ones that come in, you know, where, you know, somebody's son or daughter or dad or mom or, you know, in poor health. And can you, we get a message from the band and, you know, they're really heartbreaking emails, but, you know, the sad part is we just, we don't have a way to, you know, other than, you know, saying prayers and, you know, maybe trying to direct them to uh, the U2.com message boards or something like that. There's just, there's just, we don't have a direct connection to the band like that we could, uh, you know, that, that we can pass those messages along. So, yeah. So the, you know, the channels that you may be aware of, Twitter, uh, U2 on Twitter and the Zootopia forum on U2.com, which we'll put links to in the show notes. And, uh, that's, I guess your best bet, just like the rest of us are sort of. And, uh, um, we do like as listeners of the podcast, we love all of you and obviously, and are like Matt said, heartbroken when life is hard and celebrating with you and life is awesome and getting up on stage or getting to a show and all that kind of stuff. We love hearing from you, but just know that we can't, um, do anything much more than, join in <laughs> with right. your sympathy and empathy. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, from uh, famous, infamous from episode six of the YouTube, at YouTube podcast, Beth, uh, Beth and Bono uh, asked, do you think there's any benefit for fans in Ticketmaster's new Ticketmaster plus resale? I don't, I think it's legitimized scalping and Ticketmaster's attempt to get a cut of the secondary market. I don't know what this is, Matt, but uh, you might have feelings. Well, it, I mean, it's, I mean, she's absolutely right. It is. It's, totally legitimized scalping and it's very much an attempt to get a cut of the secondary market because Ticketmaster used to not have that uh, that resale market it used to be something you had to do through StubHub and through and through sites like that and there's you know I mean there's a ton of money to be made in that um, is there any benefit for fans well I think there is just to the degree that at least if you buy through the Ticketmaster resale through the official site uh um, you know that you are getting a legitimate ticket that is going to get you in the venue. 
Whereas if you are buying through Craigslist or eBay or you know, some guy on the street or something, you know, outside the venue, you have no idea if what you're buying is an actual ticket. And one of our, you know, one of our good friends of at U2, Justin Kent, he uh, got in trouble with that. I think it was at one of the New York shows where he, or it was earlier in the tour, I can't recall which city it was, but he bought a ticket from, uh, you know, a scalper and it ended up being a fake and he was out of luck. He was out of several hundred dollars. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely legitimized scalping. Um, on the bright side, you know that you're going to get in if you spend that money. I mean, look, I wasn't happy. I spent $400 on a GA for New York number seven, and I was not thrilled at all about having to spend that much money, but at least I knew that I was getting a ticket and I was, you know, my son was going to be in there with me and we didn't have to worry about, you know, is the tickets going to scan? Is it a fake? Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, there, there, there's, there's some benefit, but... You know, it's not the best situation in the world. All right. Uh, now we bring, bring us to uh, a little oh gosh, segment. Here we go. I was calling uh, listeners argue with Matt, but I think we'll come up with a, a new segment or name for it called... Do I have to answer that again? Um, <laughs> which... Wait, say that again? Do I have to answer that again? Do I have, Do to, I answer? have to answer that again? Okay. <laughs> Where uh, Matt has said something in the past, listeners want a little bit of follow-up or... or or posted something on the on at youtube.com in an article or, or things like that. Um, and uh, and uh, listeners just want to, and the readers want to follow up questions saying, okay, so for example, at C K O N A N Z. That's Christian. We had Christ, he, Christian answer or asked a question on the last podcast, right? See, and I'll, I will mispronounce your name. I will also promptly forget your name. That's really rude. So I have a guarantee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I blame my C- kids for that. C. Conans, I think, is, is Christian. There we go. Matt, you mentioned on October 2014, so this is going back a little ways now. We're, wow. They're keeping a book on you, Matt, that uh, Songs of Innocence had some awful songs. Which were those songs? Do you still think they're awful? I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just skip that? <laughs> Do I have to answer that again? No, you're being held, your toes are being held to the fire by uh, Christian. Here. See, the, the problem is... Like I love – like one of my favorite songs on Songs of Innocence is California. And some of my best friends in the world hate that song and think it's terrible and talk crap about that song. And I actually started – they were so hateful towards California that I started taking it personally. And I was like questioning my own fandom and my own tastes in U2 songs. Like, wait, these are my friends and they hate the song. Like what's wrong with me if I love this song? And so – I've purposely avoided not saying what songs from Songs of Innocence I hate because I have very good friends that love these songs. And so I don't want <laughs> I don't want them to feel the way I felt, Chris. I don't know, listeners. I, I'm Matt Squirman here trying to get out of this. Um, I, I'm not uh, sure where they're pressed. You really want me to answer this, right? <laughs> I think the listeners, I can't hear them audibly right now, but I'm pretty sure they do. They're, they're begging for it, cheering or right. ranting or whatever. All right, I'll just. All right, well, just I'm just going to leave this here. Drop of megalomania, touch of generosity, dash of self-promotion. <laughs> Stop doing that. That wasn't Matt. If you can't tell, it's it's, it's it's scary that you control the audio here. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, what are the awful songs? I'll- okay, Volcano is such an unbelievably bad song. There are no words for how bad Volcano is. But I have some very good friends that love it, and I want them to keep loving it. And I don't want them to feel like every time they hear Volcano, oh, well, Matt hates this song, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, Volcano's terrible. And Sleep 
like a baby tonight. I cannot even bear to listen to like volcano if it comes on and you know I listen to it, whatever it's not the end of the world but sleep like a baby tonight I just I can't even bear to listen to that that's just like skip immediately let's go past so those are my two least favorite and I'll add that I did not like raised by wolves in the beginning until the tour came along and then as often happens um, you know once you hear a song live it takes on a new you know a new sort of sort of atmosphere a new vibe that sort of thing and so I've come to you know really like Raised by Wolves now I did not like it in the beginning so Christian I hope that answers your question and I apologize to everyone that likes those two songs I don't like them get it all out the edge you're almost sounding a little bit you might get the honorary Canadian tag uh, for apologizing profusely <laughs> for having your an opinion influence. it's yeah. your influence <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. I know. I I think any many YouTube fans can can uh, identify with that, especially the angle of like hearing it on the record or the CD or whatever, uh, and then hearing it live. And your opinion changes. Dirty Day was that way for me on the album. I just thought that I hated it on Zeropa, but once I saw Zoo TV tour, etc., and and heard it being played live, it was kind of like this was a new song to me. So you know what? You know what else I don't like. Uh-oh, here we go. I opened <laughs> Lucifer, up a valve. <laughs> Lucifer's Hands and Crystal Ballroom, I can't stand them. Really? I, yeah, I, and, and I know everyone loves the yeah. Crystal Ballroom as a song. I just I don't understand what everybody likes about the song, and I've tried so hard to get into that song. I just I can't get into that song. So. so what's your Twitter account again, Matt? I forget. At Matt McGee. Okay, so there I you know. go. I'm, I know, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it in email. I'm going to get it on Twitter. I'm going to hear it everywhere. I know. And uh, you can, we have the ask at you to hashtag, if you need to like, just put an extra exclamation point that you want it for this, the, uh, Do I have to answer that again? segment, maybe we'll put a little extra hashtag of ask Matt or something on there. You guys be creative in your responses. Hash- you can use like hashtag Matt is an idiot or whatever. You know, that's fine. No, we want to be nice. We, want to, we don't want to, Matt to feel bad. Okay, the, the, the second question uh, from Sunkiss PTA was, Matt said he didn't like how Streets was played. How has it changed over the tours? I like Pop Mart Streets best. So I know you've been, you know, I, I think it was on the podcast with me for sure. And then before that, I remember you mentioning that. So it's obviously something where you've got a yeah, last week to grind with. with. Yeah, last when when we had Beth and Chris on last week, I think we talked about this. Um, that yeah, I mean, Streets has been my favorite song forever, and it's the one song I could never live without. But uh, and Beth and I talked about this um, offline. Um, it's just, and some people have said on Twitter, and so what I'm about to say is not original by any means, because I remember. You know, as we're live tweeting the concerts, you know, the last couple months, people have been talking about this. But I and I agree with whoever it was that first said this, and, and with all the people that said it, it doesn't have the same strength this tour because there's sort of the hard stop before it, and then Bono, you know, talks for about three minutes about the, um, uh, you know, the 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 one campaign stuff and. Um, the the retroviral drugs and all that sort of stuff, and then it goes into the Paul Simon song that you know, frankly, I was not familiar with at all before the tour started, and so it just it doesn't have the right, you know for me it doesn't have the right lead in it doesn't sort of you know carry that momentum that I usually wanted to carry, and you know look I you know I love I love what U two does with you know and what Bono specifically does with all the humanitarian stuff but streets to me is sort of like a sacred thing and I will not associate streets with the one campaign and the Africa stuff that it's too personal of a song to me and so I didn't like it on the Vertigo tour when it was when they had the African flags coming down it's not that I'm you know opposed to all the 
good that he's done there. I just that song to me is it's like don't touch that song, leave that. You know, I'm being selfish U2 fan when I say that, but that's just yeah. That's that's just sort of you know what has been for me you know my struggle with streets on this tour, and so bad has kind of replaced on this tour. The the few times they've done bad, it's just been an absolute religious experience on this tour. So. And so it's not even so much the, as a guitarist, I was curious if it was more like the instrumentation or maybe they've, you know, dropped one of the level of the synth sound or something. And, you know, it wasn't as, didn't have the same kind of oomph that maybe other tours have had. It's more about just the, the atmosphere and the theme of the song surrounding it, the packaging almost than the actual yeah, song itself. Exactly. I think that's a good way to, to describe it. Yes. Yeah. Which I think is fair totally. Cause it's, it, it definitely is like that and bad, like you said, are both songs that are very like defining songs of how a tour feels almost. And, and when they play those songs, that kind of signals how you might feel not necessarily about the rest of the tour, I guess, but just that, that those are defining by songs that, yeah. yeah. When you, when you have a real personal connection with a song, you know, that it already has a lot of baggage and weight and value internally for you. Yeah. And then for it to suddenly be presented in a whole different way, it's just, it, there's sort of takes some getting used to. And I just, I just haven't, gotten around to uh to appreciating the way that it's being presented on this tour there all right well that ends uh drop down to that again with matt this time and uh like i said be sure to send in future questions if you have them we won't do it every time but only if there's a an appropriate question to follow up with matt um all right well uh in lieu of our shortened discussion right now we'll have a little longer discussion on our at youtube roundtable which we'll just jump right into because i think we do a good job of introducing the guests that are on the show and uh and then we'll matt and i will be back after the roundtable to wrap up any sort of loose ends yeah hey uh, baby uh, stand by for zoo uh, radio transmit all right welcome to the official at youtube roundtable discussion matt uh who do we have today at the virtual roundtable <laughs> We have we have the most uh, international gathering of U two fans that we may ever have on the podcast, right? Yeah, I didn't uh, do a very, Google Maps uh, check, but yeah, I think it's it's not it's very exciting. We have um, we we have a special guest coming to us from. Well, I'll let him say where he's from right now, but uh, it's Navid, who is a member of the U two Tour de uh, fan site staff. And then we also have, uh, from our own at U2 crew, we have Aaron Govern, um, who is uh, also not in North America. So we have uh, very international things. Navid, why don't you go first? Um, tell us uh, where you are and how and when you became a U2 fan. Just sort of introduce yourself to our listeners. Sure. First, hi, Matt. Hi, Chris. Um, as said, I'm from the um, staff of U2 Tour D your German counterpart. Um, I'm from Vienna, Austria, and currently residing in Istanbul. Uh, so it is quite an international round. And um, how I first stumbled across you too, I guess uh, it's got to be uh, my older brothers, just seeing them listen to uh, Ratland Hum and uh, Under a Blood Red Sky. And then the first album that brought me in was Achtung Baby, which I guess was <laughs> the one for most of us. And to this day, I'll name Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses as one of my favorite songs. I think that was around 92, I guess. And that really did it for me back then. I'm still a little bit bummed that I missed out the tour, um, the Zoo TV tour, because I decided to go to a Guns N' Roses concert instead. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, bad, bad choice. Bad choice. Oh, no. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But one true later, they had me. 
Excellent. Excellent. Uh, and so, Aaron, you are uh, home is England, but you are also traveling at the moment. So why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and where you are right now and uh, how long and how you got into being a U2 fan? Hi, Matt. Hi, Chris. Hi, listeners. Um, well, currently I'm um, in a hotel room in the Dominican Republic on vacation, but my normal place of residence is uh, central England in the county of Warwickshire in, in England. Um, I've worked with the Matt and the At You Two uh, website now for just over five years. I'm still actually not sure what I do for the website. I do many things. And Matt, I'm sure you don't know what I do. Um, but I've been a I've been a long-term fan now for U2 for over 32, 33 years, pretty much prior to war, actually, in between October and um, before war came out. Um, pretty much every band I was into at the time were a guitar-based bands, so if it wasn't U2, it was Echo and the Bunnymen or Simple Minds. So I come from that era of uh, music fandom. Um, I think I've probably seen U2 now over just over 100 times. It's a ridiculous amount of times. And I know there's many U2 fans out there like that, but it's almost become an obsession for me. Um, I haven't seen U2 on this tour so far, albeit I have watched probably every concert on YouTube. Um, who hasn't? <laughs> it's pretty much out there at the moment. But uh, look, looking forward to the start of the European tour in, in a few weeks' time. Aaron, you haven't seen the current tour. Navid, how about you? Have you seen stops on this current tour already? I've been, yeah, I've been to Vancouver and the last two uh, New York shows I've seen so far. So four in total, I guess, yeah. You saw the beginning and the end. Uh, I was at those four shows as well, the first two and then the last two. Um, what was your impression of it, of those four shows and how the tour itself, the concerts, sort of changed from Vancouver to New York? Okay. Uh, generally, I have to say on this tour, um, just watching them enjoy themselves, um, it's nowhere near that they're being tired of being dull. Or just watching Edge jump uh, up and down all over the stage during I Will Follow, uh, one of their war horses, you know, it's incredible. I think the new songs like Iris, Raised by Wolves, Cedarwood Road, um, they all make, they're really all made for a live show. And usually that's what U2 is about, that, you know, when you go back and rather listen to a bootleg of a song rather than listening to the album version and just think about, I don't know, Mofo or Beautiful Day or Love is Blindness and those songs really connect and get together life. And I didn't have the feeling on the last two tours, to be honest, um, just thinking back about Magnificence or a Miracle Drug. So yeah, some, there's something about this tour and this album, I have to say, for me personally, um, which I think is working great. And it's interesting to see how they change things over time, being to the first two Vancouver shows and the last two New York shows. Um, just, you know, it didn't take them long to drop Miracle Drug all of a sudden because they realized it's not connecting well as an opener for the uh, encores or the trouble is not going to work. So let's just drop that. Unfortunately, they dropped it for good, but that's not the story. Or even the intermission part with the you know, they put the yellow screen and eventually they now they've built up the Berlin Wall and playing the Fly remix um, from Gavin Friday. So it's nice to see them, how they um, fine-tune the show um, over time. I personally had a great time at all four shows. I think um, the, the tour is great. They're in a really good mood, as said. Um, even the war horses sound as fresh as ever. Um, had a great time so far. That's um, th- that's a common uh, common thing that uh, that you know I that I you know I think I've said and a lot of our our uh, 
uh, our crew has said and people you know that we talk to at the shows and all that the that songs like Pride and uh, Bullet the Blue Sky and you know the oh, War yeah. Horse songs that you know as you were saying they you know I like I don't know what it is like is it is it that that the band is playing them differently or is that they're just a different energy for some reason in the room um, but like Pride in particular just for whatever reason really stands out as one of those songs on this tour where you kind of maybe expected oh I don't want to have to hear that again but man it sounds really good and the audience is so into it yeah. Yeah, definitely. As you say, the, the the old songs. I mean, personally, I have to say, I will follow. Just blows me away every time. That song is really made for indoor arenas, and Pride as well. And one of one of my personal highlights, although by no means am I a fan of the song itself, but Bullet really blows me away. The I think the break during the 360 tour um, did really well, and the version they're playing right now is just breathtaking. It's it's really one of the highlights for me of the show. So yeah, I don't know what yeah. it is. I think. I, I do think um, there's there, there's just you know we always speak of you two being a stadium band, but really doors is where they belong and where these songs stand out are made for some reason. So one of the things that we want to talk about um, since you two, well you two you y o u comma t w o are European based fans is I'd like to know what you guys uh, think uh, is going to happen when the tour starts. What next? Next is it next week already? It's yes, yeah, the end of next week, I guess, right? Yeah, um, ten, ten, ten days. The, to, yeah. to, exactly. So when the tour gets to Italy, um, what I, I guess like what kind of changes uh, do you expect to see when the tour uh, gets gets into gets into Italy? Well, I mean, thinking about what's happened over the last uh, two or three months in America, they've clearly rotested most of Songs of Innocence and. Clearly, some songs like The Troubles are probably not going to be played in Europe, if not again. They, uh, from, from what I can understand and seeing them on YouTube, they certainly didn't um, suit the, the, the mood of the show as such. But I think what may happen with um, the, the remaining part of the tour, certainly in, in Europe, is they may experiment a bit more like they did in 2010 on the second leg of the 360 tour and may introduce some new songs. If you go back to 2010, some of the new songs that had been played eventually ended up on uh, songs of innocence. Certainly every breaking wave got through and we know we even heard Mercy, albeit that goes back to the the uh, th the prior recording of that album. But uh, songs like uh, North Star were played as well. So I don't know, we, we may hear some a, a bit more experiment, experimentation in my opinion. You mentioned the troubles a couple times, thinking that it wouldn't play very well over Europe. Do you think is that just based on the North American reaction to the song, or do you think just thematically and stuff it's just not really working? And we're all, like we said before on the show, we're all about conjecture and guessing and speculation. Like we don't, we're not, we're not Willie Williams or Bono in in this discussion. So feel free to throw a song under the bus if you need to or <laughs> whatever, and we'll deal with the the hate mail later. <laughs> Yeah, it's always a little bit difficult to speculate. I do wonder as well on the impact of the uh, the venues in Europe. I don't think they'll be as big uh, physically as the American um, sports day, um, sports arenas are. So that may bring a bit more intimacy to the shows. I'm, I'm not sure um, what what may or may happen in terms of crowd reaction. Um, certainly, there's going to be different reaction because. There's, there's so many different cultures they're going to be playing to. I mean, if you look at the tour as it stands, they've got Italy, Holland, Sweden, Germany, Spain, Belgium. 
And then, of course, we got to in the UK, we've got England and Scotland, and then finally in France. So there's going to be a lot of different um, different types of audience reaction and also a different reaction from the band to each of their to each of their fans in those countries. Um, so I think it's going to be very interesting as time progresses, certainly in the same way that the shows differed from Vancouver right through to New York. I think we're going to have to see a similar situation happen in Europe. Now, how about you on, on in this? What do you, you anticipate sort of happening here with the, the European leg of the tour now? I, well, I don't think they will change much. Um, I think, you know, they, they have a tour concept and, you know, probably for the first time since, I don't know, I guess, Elevation with, you know, with the, with the entire going back and uh, with the heart. Uh, so I don't think, so I think the first part of the you know, up until they reach the East stage, I don't think they'll change much there. They might change the occasional second song or something. I think we'll probably get to hear something like New Year's Day um, at some point. But I don't think we'll, 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 they'll change much. Obviously, the, the parts they will have to fine-tune is uh, things like, I don't know, the hands that build America. Um, I, I'm pretty sure they will change that for Europe. But I don't think we'll see much of a change this year on this leg um, in Europe. To be honest, we, we've seen, you know, we've seen the screenshots of the soundboard of songs they might have rehearsed and they have rehearsed uh, some songs which we haven't heard yet. But um, same was, you know, same happened six years ago in, during the 360 tour where they also rehearsed a couple of songs and we never heard like Drowning Man, I think it was. So, yeah, um, I'm not that optimistic that it'll change much, but we'll see. We, I mean, we could we could sort of break this down. I, I'm I'm tending to agree with uh, uh, with what Navid was just saying. So so like the first set, the first half of the show, right? It starts with the four songs where they're just playing under the light bulb, and it's sort of the you know the the early '80s club vibe. Um, and I mean, we I think we can assume that that's going to continue. That you know that they're going to open the, the European shows with you know four songs. They may alternate you know one or two of them out, um, you know from time to time, right? Um, and then, but then after after that, then the rest of that first set from what is it from Iris through until the end of the world? I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that's going to change at all in Europe. Do you guys? No, I, I don't. I, I'll think it'll, it'll even go further than until the end of the world. It'll go right through mysterious ways when they really actually physically reach the East stage. I don't think they'll change anything um, up until that point. Okay. Yeah, I think I tend to agree. I think the second song is clearly the place where they're going to introduce um, some changes. But beyond that, yeah, I think really just in the first half, the the whole of the songs of experience and songs of innocence. Um, song set starts being played and I, I think it's going to fit in with the the concept and I, I don't think they'll change it in that respect you guys you you mentioned uh, also Navid the um, the segment of the show in it's in the second set where uh, he does where Bono s does that snippet of hands that built America and there's several you know very specific us based references when he talks about um, you know what happened in Ferguson, what happened in Baltimore, things like that. Um, I remember those; th those actually didn't go over too well when when U two was playing. You know, just north of the border in Canada. So, I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent that 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 is going to have to 
change up for the European tour. Are there things, are, are there similar, th- you know, pardon me for not knowing what's going on, you know, maybe as well as I showed what's in the news in Europe, but are there any, are there things like that that he could replace that with for each different European audience? I think so. Um, we, you know, there's very recently, there's just been some um, terrorism attacks within France or an attempted terrorism attack in France. Um, there's been numerous others, if not in recent years, certainly London going back to 2005, we had the terrible terrorism attack. So I think that, yeah, you, you could you could replace some of the references, no problem. No, I tend to agree. I mean, there, there's, there's certainly be enough material for references. But um, again, I'm just trying to connect them with songs and uh, there's nothing specific that would come to my mind. With Pride, you obviously have uh, the connection, but I'm trying to think of songs that could fit in um, into those segments to make that work and not can't really think of anything except for maybe something like running to Stansted or something but um, well, so, so Sunday Bloody Sunday is always an opportunity it's not always relating to Ireland it can relate to, to any particular Fair enough. Uh, country is it, and this may be a very North American centric question or point of view, I guess, but it, it feels like their approach in the U.S., North America, and I'm Canadian, so I can throw ourselves in, in with the U.S., I guess, there, but like in North America, anyways, um, is like we're trying to reach you and let you know about stuff. Whereas in Europe, it feels like the vibe is a bit more, and I've never been to a U2 stop in Europe, so this is very out of my uh, knowledge base here, but it feels like it's a bit more of like you're a little more aware of stuff and we have to be. They're, they tread a little more carefully with how they touch on different political um, nerves and stuff like that. Is that a fair assessment or am I out to lunch? No, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, it's it's pretty much the case. It's been like that with you two for a long, long time, I think. Um, you know, Bono is very active in, in lots of different respects and uh, very culture orientated. I think um, he's able to be very versatile in the way that he he works with his audiences, uh, and uh, I think we've seen that over many, many years. Based, based on um, uh, both of your experiences in seeing shows around Europe, which I assume you both have done, um, are, 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 the, are, are the audiences you know, different in their response to you two, you know, say between Paris and Barcelona or, you know, London and Berlin, does, does you two get a different response based on what country they're in? Oh, for sure. Absolutely for sure. I mean, I've been to see you two in Spain and Italy and the, the passion is incredible. Um, in the UK, certainly my experience is that the London audiences tend to be a little bit more laid back, tend to be a bit trying to be cool about the whole thing. Um, but I see a lot of passion amongst the the Italians and the Spanish, um, even Germany. Um, the direction has been incredible to the extent that I, I, I just didn't expect it when I saw them in there. Um, I think the passion is going to be quite different again when we see you two playing indoors. Because, I mean, I think this is really the first time in 14 years that uh, you two played indoors in Europe. So I think we're going to get a much more different reaction. Some of the shows that I went to um, on Vertigo and 360 in Europe, there was less um, there was less focus. It depends. I guess it depends where you're standing or sitting at those shows. But sometimes you 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 your mind just drifts away because people in front of you are talking. Uh, they've got the mobile phones out, and there's there's less attention being paid. Whereas I think the indoor shows, I think it's because it's it's darker. 
Um, there's less issues in terms of distraction. I think that's going to make a massive difference to how the audience reacts. I agree. You often do hear you know, the shows in Europe um, and the audiences might go up a little more, and especially when we talk about any shows, as um, Aaron mentioned, in Italy or Spain that I've been to, really the crowd reaction always is something different. And even some other cities where you can always expect good shows from you to, like, as you mentioned, Paris, for instance, or Amsterdam, where I've um, been to during the Vertigo Tour and 360 and really outstanding. Um, so I've seen all these places through the last two tours and had a great time. But then again, uh, as Aaron says, it really depends where you are standing or where you're sitting. Personally, for instance, I remember during the 360 tour, Berlin was one of the highlights of the tour for me. But Dublin, which is like the holy grail, uh, I guess, uh, for any U2 fan to go to, everyone would always talk about Slain. But the 360 concerts, I remember I left Dublin with a slight disappointment that they were quite ordinary. So, yeah, um, it'll, it'll depend where you're standing or sitting. But generally speaking, um, places like Italy and Spain and Europe, you can't go wrong for sure. You bring up a good point, maybe, that we could uh, segue to the idea of where to sit and stuff like that. And uh, one, a listener of the show uh, at Sunkissed PTA asked us through our Ask at U2 hashtag on Twitter, info on behind scenes of U2 concerts, time they show up, what happens before they go on, and how soon do they leave the show? Um, and and sort of the general advice of giving fans, you know, now in Europe, when to get in line, where do you think the best place to stand, sit is, and... The question I probably ask every time I think so far is, you know, if you you can only attend one show, where would you go and, and sit? And, and now that I guess you've had the advantage in this discussion, I guess, as far as actually having been to the show and now sort of planning out your uh, European vacation, YouTube vacation of sorts. <laughs> Um, Everything planned, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what uh, What are your thoughts on on just like the, the day of of a U two show? What what, do you, what advice would you give to fans if this is their first time maybe seeing U two or or they're looking to sort of maybe they've seen them before but want to just be able to you know catch them on the drive in like they see photos of on Twitter or whatever and and some of that kind of stuff. During the North American shows now, I haven't done any GA so far yet. So I've been only to seats. As of GA line, I won't be able to comment on that. Usually, uh, from my experience, in Europe, you'll queue um, much longer than you do in the U.S., I guess. But um, talking about seating and where you have the best seats in the house, um, I've been to about, about every place now in, um, in, in indoors. And we always speak about um, there not being any bad seats, but um, that's obviously not really going to be true because um, I sat behind the stage, I sat across the stage, I sat um, you know next next to the stage so you can see the screen, and sitting behind the stage, you know, dead center, the first Vancouver show I remember, um, everyone was left and right freaking out during the songs, and I was just wondering what it's all about until I actually saw the show a couple of days later on uh, on the screen. So, you know, the, the, the expensive seats obviously are going to be the best seats because the a major part of the show is the visuals, the, the, the things you see during Until the End of the World or um, some of the other songs like Cedarwood Road. If, if, you just, if you don't see that and you're sitting at a dead angle and can't um, experience that, that's, you're kind of missing the point of the entire um, show somehow. Um, and, and then GA, you know, you'll probably be as close as you can ever be to them because the the, the catwalk and the B stage, you know, it, it just stretches and goes on and on. So you'll 
going to be as close as ever to the band. Again, you're probably going to be too too close to actually see the screen and see what's going on, but um, you'll always have pros and cons. So, Well, from my perspective, I'm actually quite pleased with the tickets I've ended up with for the O2. I'm going to all six shows currently. Um, hopefully you're going to go to a few more shows, perhaps up in, uh, in Glasgow. Um, but um, when I apply for my tickets, I managed to get three GAs and three seats. So having listened to the previous podcasts and spoken to a few of the staff members, I think most of them are saying really that you can get far too close to GA and uh, you, know, you can't really see the screen so well. And this is very much um, a concept tour, probably the, the first concept tour you two have generally done. So I'm quite pleased that I've, I've got a, a, a different view each night, a different way of looking at the, um, the, the band play and soak up the atmosphere in, in different respects. So I'm quite pleased with that. Um, the other aspect also as well, I'm getting older now. And, you know, on the Zoo TV <laughs> tour, I was quite pleased to, to queue up outside the Burmany Sea for 26 hours prior to the, oh my prior to the show starting. Um, now I can't do that. I, I, I can last 26 minutes, not 26 hours. <laughs> so I'm really very pleased from what I'm hearing that, you know, the GA doesn't really matter. You can turn up as late as you want almost and you can, you know, you you can just stand where you want. Uh, that pleases me no end, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I'll just I'll just echo that um, for anybody that, you know, for whatever reason hasn't, you know, listened to to the previous podcasts or seen any of the articles that have been published or, or whatever. Um, I mean, you, at the shows that, that, you know, that I went to, uh, what was it, Vancouver, and then I did it again in Phoenix, um, you know, like didn't line up all day, just went to the arena at about 6.30 or 7 o'clock. The GA line had already started getting let in, went in, and I could get a spot – you know, two or three people back uh, from the rail at the E stage, just you know, by showing up at seven o'clock for a show that starts at eight. So, you know, I think you know, I just echo what what Aaron was just saying that you know, unless you absolutely need to be in in one specific spot on the floor, you know, up against the rail or what have you, um, I don't think there's really any reason to to spend all day in the GA line. And so, um, but again, I'm not. Uh, maybe things will be different in Europe. I don't. I don't know. I just. I know that uh, you know here in North America, with the amount of people that lined up and and that sort of stuff, it was still pretty pretty comfortable to just show up at six thirty seven o'clock and get pretty much anywhere you wanted to go. And the fans who, I guess, for those fans who are about to write Matt an email, there is still value in getting together and having fun. Matt's not against fun. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> there is. I know there's community that happens on in the line, but there's also tired legs and and smelly armpits or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I think that, I, I think that the lines are great because it never seems to amaze me. People you haven't seen for five six years, we all get a bit more gray hair, perhaps even a little bit less hair, but. <laughs> You meet people you haven't seen for a long, long time. You don't even know their names, actually, to be honest with you, but you just think, oh, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you? And you just carry on that conversation as if nothing's, nothing's happened in between. It's just amazing. I, I have a question for, for Navid and Aaron. Just, again, not, not ever having been to a European show. I don't know how this works. Uh, but getting back to that tweet from Sunkissed PTA about what time the band shows up and all that sort of stuff. So on the North American tour... Um, you two, the, 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 I mean, the band would show up around usually, I think, 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and at least one, I think at most of the shows, uh, at least one, if not several members of the band would f- go over to the fans that were waiting outside the entrance, sign autographs, you know, quick conversation, that sort of stuff. Then they'd go in, they'd do their sound check, and then after the show, the band just, you know, pretty much takes off, you know, as soon as the show's over. Do they do that also for the European shows? Do they spend time chatting with fans beforehand? Is there, you know, a good area outside the arena, uh, the arenas where that can take place? In my experience, the case has always been yes. Um, they have come out, although generally I've usually climbed the fence to get to them, so I'm probably not doing the things which are generally legal, but uh, <laughs> it's always a way again to see them for sure. Um, a couple of times I've been kindly thrown <laughs> thrown out of the venue sometimes doing that, so oh, wow. I wouldn't recommend it. But um, no, I mean, ge- generally they, they do tend to do the same thing on the European tours. Um, and that's been my experience in Spain um, from just trying to think of other times I met you two outside of England um, signing autographs and whatever it's usually 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock a sound check for an hour and then they usually I presume go back to the hotel and come back again um, for the show start, I mean obviously this time around it's going to be a little bit different because um, no support act playing Um, so I think that's probably going to catch a few people out, I'm not so sure whether some people will turn up, certainly in the UK, they'll expect um, the, the main act to come on at 9 o'clock at night, and that's going to be quite different, obviously, for this tour. Um, certainly those who've got the their tickets, so they better they better take some time reading that because there's a chance some people may miss the sh- start of the show. Um, that's going to be the main difference, I think, for, for this time around. But the access to the band has generally been quite good over the years, and I, I hope that doesn't change. I was I was I was just going to say well I, I I'm curious to know if if your experience with the shows you've seen is is the same as what Aaron just described but then I'd also since you saw some of the uh four of the shows um I'd love your thoughts on the lack of uh of an opening band this time the fact that it's just you know just you two and nobody else Okay well first coming to the um to the pre-show I have to say uh, from the reports I've been reading and seeing you know, all the tweets um of the band showing up before the concert, I have a feeling this time around they're even taking more time for the fans to come out and sign autographs or take pictures. It's just, I mean, I'm a little forgetful, so honestly, maybe four or five years ago this was exactly the same. But it just to me, it seems like, you know, every show, at least two of them will show up and um, do something. And as of to the um, there no being um, opening act, it's a little strange. I have to stay in Vancouver, um, sitting down and seeing Dallas and everybody already just uh, working it up and getting ready to play. I Honestly, I do miss an opening act. I just feel like it's that's how a concert should be. It's just part of what, what you're going to see, that there's another band and then you, you'll wait another hour and you're getting tired but also anxious. Um, it's it's strange. And I know a lot of people expected you two to play longer just because there is no opening act which to this day, the argument doesn't really um, settle with me because just because there's no opening act, they never said that they're going to play for three hours now. Um, yeah, personally, I'd like to see one, but that's, that's just my opinion. What was, I do when, feel like it changes the atmosphere a little bit. Right. Which, um, when, when you got back from Vancouver, it was you and I think Dirk from your crew was there. Was anybody else in Vancouver? Um, from the crew, no, but there were a lot of people from, from the from board, board members, obviously, there, yeah. 
Gotcha. So when you got back from Vancouver and you're chatting with uh, your friends that are YouTube fans, you're chatting with the other folks from U2Tour.D, what were the most common questions that they were asking you? Some of the most common questions, um, you know, the ones you already ad- addressed about, you know, where you're going to sit. It's uh, one of the biggest, biggest questions, obviously, because up until recently, I think the seating plans or the seating charts are still not very accurate as to <laughs> that you know exactly where you end up if you're sitting behind the stage or in front of the stage. So those were a lot of questions that people had on, on mind and where the red zones are, um, when the band exactly started to play. It was it was most of the questions were around that or when you should get there to, you know, stand uh, front of stage or, uh, you know, not be too far away from the stage. Those are the usual questions you'll have because everything else, let's be honest, nowadays you'll be able to see on YouTube anyway, and you'll be quick to judge if they're good or bad. But, um, (laughs) one thing I was thinking about earlier, um, going back to the theme and what will may change in Europe. I I don't know. I, I think the band may yet play, at least one track off No Line of the Horizon. I've, I've been thinking about that, and probably Moment of Surrender is probably an opportunity for them to reintroduce that. That probably works thematically. That's an interesting call, because I, I just happened to last week stumble across a, you know how you do a YouTube sort of rabbit trail from one video to the next to the next, and uh, and I was watching a Brian Eno video, which led, led me to an interview I hadn't seen of him talking about Moment of Surrender for 10 minutes or so and how they created it, and then into watching Moment of Surrender from, uh, I think, the um, Rose Bowl, was it, that video, and, uh, and yeah, it, it's a song that's a beautiful song that could play well in... Europe as opposed to North America for some weird reason it feels a little more European that whole album feels a little more European ish for some reason I guess maybe Morocco I don't know um, but uh, yeah it'd be interesting because that's the one album that hasn't had a song represented right if we're I think there's well, just and, been a snippet props yeah. and and, surrender that's about it yeah I, I and I he's he has snippeted moment of surrender a couple times and I think I said on Twitter uh I think I kind of made that same prediction, Aaron, that it wouldn't surprise me if they actually do that full song. Because Surrender is such, I mean, he talks about Surrender, Bono does, talks about sur- mm-hmm. you know, this idea of Surrender several times throughout the show. And so it would you know, logically make sense that that would be one potential you know, song change that, uh, that they could introduce. Yeah, yeah and, it, and, it, and it's sort of being begged to be uh, to being played, isn't it? Because he started off with a very small snippet. And that snippet during the 35, six concert of the first leg, it just became longer and longer. And it stretched to like a minute and a half. And then they had two snippets. So I really think it's there. They're really almost there to play it. So I wouldn't be surprised if it pops up as well. Yeah, I agree. So, um, Navid, uh, before we wrap up here, can you do you want to give us sort of um, uh, like a, a, a preview of what, uh, u2tour.de is going to be doing in terms of uh, covering the tour and all that sort of stuff because those of us here in uh, North America uh, that are not going to be able to make it over to Europe uh, for any shows, we're going to be relying on you guys and the sites in France and Italy and etc. you know, all around Europe uh, to sort of give us a taste of what's going on. So have you guys, do you guys have a plan and an idea of what you guys are going to be doing? We have we're, we're going to have a full coverage of I mean full coverage um, of the second leg. We have um, I think if I'm not currently mistaken, almost any of the concert location will have at least one or two staff members, and we'll have plenty of people sending out tweets and whatnot for sure. 
Um, we're also going to have a Berlin party, just like you had a couple of weeks ago in New York. And let's see if the guys show up or not. Um, <laughs> I hope so. We, uh, we, we, we sure hope so. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be very, very active on Twitter and YouTube and everything. You, you're going to hear and be covered up with YouTube 2D for sure during the second leg of the entire tour. Awesome. And which, how many shows and which, uh, if you don't mind saying, uh, are you Please. personally going to? Um, ah, let, let me think. I'm going to, the, um, to both um, Turin concerts in Torino. Um, I think another two in Berlin, um, two in London, two in Paris. Uh, it's eight, I guess. Um, yeah, that's, that's fixed for now. Anything else, you know, we'll just see <laughs> what, what goes along the line. That's that's cool. You'll get to track from uh, from the beginning to the end, just like you did here between Vancouver yeah. and New York. Yeah, yeah, for very sure. cool. Uh, Aaron Aaron Govern, uh, well, we kind of know what at U two is going to try to do with you and the rest of our crew in Europe, and continue doing the same thing that we did uh, in North America. But w- which shows are you going to? All six in London? Did I've you say? All, yeah, I've got all six in London, and um, it looks like I'm going to one of the Glasgow shows. I can't remember which one it is. Um, I'm also hoping, of course, Dublin's going to be announced soon. Um, at this point, it looks doubtful there may be a Dublin show. Um, if we, you know, to believe the the physicality of the stage and being able to fit it into um, the what is now the Three Arena, um, and there's obviously some dates being mooted for um, Belfast. And I think Belfast actually deserves a concert. It's probably been Joshua Tree tour since they played indoors at uh, in Northern Ireland. So. I don't know. I think there'll be a few more shows announced, and um, I think I'll. I'm looking forward to uh, being able to go to some more shows, for sure. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I wish I'd actually bought some more tickets for other other countries um, this time round. Um, it hasn't been this way. I mean, I did quite a few countries for Vertigo and for 360 tour, but um, I found it a little bit more difficult to coordinate myself this year to get uh, tickets for different shows. Um, but uh, we'll see. Very cool. Thanks, guys. And I'll just make note that it wasn't Matt or I that brought up the At You 2 20th party um, for the sixth consecutive episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't that, was bo- that was bound to happen at some point again. <laughs> uh, I, I, really, I, really, I really can't believe that was mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> so take a shot or, or uh, whatever, mark your X on your at YouTube podcast uh, official bingo chart or, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks, Aaron. And thanks, Navid, for joining us on the at YouTube roundtable. And uh, we'll put links to if they want us to in the in the show notes so that folks can find them on Twitter and, and follow along. And and of course, uh, like Matt mentioned, at YouTube.com is where Aaron will be helping out. And then YouTubeTours.de is where you can find uh, more of Navid's stuff. That's a real Zoo TV moment. Okay, thanks, Aaron and Navid, for joining us on the At You Two Roundtable. As always, if you have any follow-up questions, things we discussed, maybe you disagree, maybe you agree, maybe you're wanting more clarification, we still have one more episode before the uh, European tour starts in Turin. Um, and so if you have questions like that relevant to the tour or anything in general, ask at you two is the hashtag to use on Twitter and we'll follow it or find it and uh, use it in a future episode. Don't be disheartened if we don't use your question in the very next episode. We try to sort of wrap a bunch together that are appropriate and and match them to other discussions going on. And we save them all though until uh, uh, future dates. And so um, any 
closing remarks, Matt, from from you on this episode? No, that was fun. I enjoyed having. I mean, it's great that we expanded beyond uh, the the continent of North America, and we have we had Aaron on from. Well, he was in the Dominican Republic, but he's you know from England, and we had Navid from U2Tour.de. He was in Istanbul. He said, "Holy yeah. Moses!" So, I'd love to get more guests on like that um, as we go forward. So hopefully, and we had Beth and Chris on last week, and so hopefully we'll just keep mixing things up. We'll have some guests on some weeks, and we'll have at U2 crew on, you know, sometimes. And so yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, the uh, I'll just make a brief mention of the at U2.com poll that's on right now. Which is which unplayed song from Songs of Innocence do you most hope gets played in concert during the Innocence and Experience tour? So obviously that carries over. I don't know how long the poll is going to be running for. Matt may sabotage it because one of the songs is Sleep Like a Baby Tonight. Um, but <laughs> right now they're in a pretty dead heat. Uh, 46% for Sleep Like a Baby and 53% for This is Where You Can Reach Me Now, hoping to be played. So just for a little bit of fun, you can go vote and um, add to the discussion there um you can find the podcast here like i mentioned earlier goodstuff.fm slash at u2 slash seven is this episode number twitter.com slash at u2 is the twitter account ask at u2 is the hashtag and facebook.com slash at u2com is where you can find us on facebook and i think that's everything for this episode thank you so much for listening hope you have a great day see you next time bye pint